In the time of Noah, Noah was the only righteous, just, and perfect man that God could find. And because of his righteousness, his whole family was saved, and they were saved through the water, not from the water. God was sorry that he created man. I wonder how he feels today. If we had the days of Noah all over again, and there was a flood, how many arcs would be floating with people that are found? righteous and just would you be on one would your family be on one because that's what it's going to take that's what it's going to take to change this area and this province and this nation there's a spiritual battle raging they're coming for your marriage they're coming for your family they're definitely coming for your children and we cannot let it happen we need to have a defensive plan and an offensive plan in place. We need to be strategic. We need to know what we have in God. Weapons that are mighty for pulling down strongholds. Amen. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler and together with my wife, children and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. I know you guys are hungry, smelling the soup and the bread. You've seen the cheese, I know. But this will only take an hour and a half. Don't worry. No, I know, I know. But I want, I want to invite you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Yeah. No, I want, I want to invite you to open up your your spiritual ears, and to be ready for what God wants to do. We're starting a new series, and it's called Light in the Darkness. And what I feel God wants us to do is to take a bit of a trip through the book of Corinthians. So you'll see it's Light in the Darkness, a journey through Corinthians. And we're going to start with some of the first chapters in Corinthians today. But what I feel as we go on this journey is that God wants us to take the piece of Corinthians and He's going to line it up with another well-known story in the Bible. What exactly the next one is, He hasn't shown me yet. But I know what today is about. (laughs) Thank God. His word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Not a spotlight to next Sunday where I will live in obedience. Um, So I want to repeat our main series scriptures. Uh, Oh, and and the the message today, I just labeled it influence. Because the question before us, the question that I believe God has for us, is who is influencing whom? Is the world influencing us more than we are influencing the world? Or are we influencing the world more than it's influencing us? Is the world even a bit scared of this church in the Helderberg? Or is it like, eh? And it starts with each of us individually, each marriage, each family, each unit, each connect group, and then us as a whole. Because we are only as strong as our weakest link. Amen? That's not scripture, but in a way... It is true. So, 
we are going to read our series scripture. I've got two that I think are really powerful. The one I already read, but I want to read it again because it's so powerful. It's Isaiah 60 from verse 1 to 3. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. There's a darkness that covers the people. But the Lord, but the Lord will arise over you, and His glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. The second verse for our series is Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16. This is Jesus speaking to His people. And He says, You are the light of the world. Who is the light of the world? We are. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify who? You for your good works? No. The Father in heaven. What is our light supposed to do? It's like the, you have to, you know that, that thing about uh, like a moth to a flame? There was a song by Janet Jackson in the 90s. Like a moth to a flame, burned by a fire. My love is blind, can't you see my desire? That's the way life goes. Ba -ba -ba -na -ba -na. Okay. Yes, I did listen to that and I shouldn't have. But it's based on a saying, like a moth to a flame. So we have to see ourselves like the light that the moths are coming to. But who lit the light? God did. Amen? All right. So it's about Him. Our series will be focused on being the light in the darkness. Would you agree with me that we are in dark days? Who doesn't think so? Who thinks it's great? It's like the light is everywhere. Anyone? All right. Good. So you would, you would agree with me that there's a problem. There's a world to be reached. Would you agree? Okay, great. Would you agree that our days are like the days of Noah? All right, that's why I think God is leading us there. But how do we make sure that we are intentionally and effectively being light in this darkness and be in line with what is influencing the world around us without allowing the world to influence us? In other words, how do we be in the world but not from the world? Like Jesus said we are. You are in this world but you're not from this world. How do we do that? There's many of us who, when things start happening in our schools, like the, these evil ideologies that are creeping into our schools and affecting our children, that we go, I just want to go into the Karoo and like build a church and a school and get away from everything. You want to, you want to just separate yourself from what's happening in the world. And I, I totally get that, you know. Um, I had those thoughts. I, I keep having those thoughts. But what will happen when we take the light out of the darkness and we go and light it somewhere else? This darkness will be worse than what it was. That is why it is so important for us to know our God and His calling on our lives. Don't go anywhere out of fear of man. Don't go anywhere out of uncomfortability and inconvenience. 
only go where God leads you. Because anywhere else, when, it, when you get there and the wheels come off, you have no backup plan. But when you go and God said so and it gets tough, you can stand knowing God sent you here. I don't have to worry. So if God has called you to Somerset West, Helderberg, to be the light in the darkness, then you be the light in the darkness. Amen? Let's not run away. Because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. If you really believe that, you will stand. You will not run. Amen? How many of you know what a cautionary tale is? What is a cautionary tale? This is not a cautionary What is caution? What is a caution sign in traffic? It says, be cautious, right? So a cautionary tale is a story that we can learn from. We can learn what not to do. Noah and 1 Corinthians have cautionary tales for us. The church in Corinth had some really challenging problems. The church was planted by Paul. It was mostly made up of Gentiles. And they actually had a previous Corinth before the one that Paul planted a church in. There was another city called Corinth, and it was a completely pagan city. They had, up on the hill, they had a, a, a temple with thousands of priestesses, and they would do all kinds of horrible things in the name of their God. That city was destroyed by Rome, and, but a new Corinth arose. Now, when you see where Corinth is on the map, you'll see that it's actually on a very important trade position. And the new Corinth was made up of mostly freed men. People who used to be slaves, who either got set free, where they worked enough and then they were set free, or they bought their own freedom. They moved to this city and became traders and made a lot of money. It was a very wealthy city, but a very pagan city, very degraded, heavy immorality. It was pretty much like our modern day cities. <laughs> and this is where Paul went, planted a church. And he actually had a really tough time with this church. I did a bit of research and he, it's, it was interesting to find out that Paul didn't always get everything right the first time. It's encouraging in a way. He went, planted the church, went away. He heard there was trouble. He sent Timothy. Timothy was a bit timid. That's partly why he told them, don't be timid. You don't have a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of love, joy, peace, and a sound mind. And he didn't get much right. And then he went himself, didn't go well. Got a bad report again. Then he sent Titus, and apparently Titus was like, hey, mana. And he got something right. So it was a, it was a process. He had a difficult time with the church in Corinth. And so the, the people that he led to Jesus came from a pagan background. That's what they were used to. They didn't come from a Jewish background. And he's now trying to help these people because what he is seeing is that their background and their position where they are is having more of an influence on them than they are having on the world. So we are going to look at how we can avoid those problems. Why? So that our light can keep shining brightly in our area. Why? So that we can influence the world more than the world is influencing us. Amen? 
All right, so we see these two stories. We, I'm going to jump into the story of Noah first, and then we're going to come back to Corinthians. And I'm going to try to do this effectively so that I know you can have your soup. Um, but we're going to focus on the Word of God first. All right, this is a lot of Scripture. Are you ready? You don't sound ready. There's a lot there. Okay. Genesis 6, 5 to 13, and I'm also going to read verse 18 and 22. So just follow along. It's going to be on the screens, and, or get your Bible out. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Do you see that? It wasn't just a momentary thing. It was evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. The King James version, version says, God repented of creating man. And he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man listen to this perfect in his generations why does it say generations because Noah became 900 years old or 800 and something Noah walked with God a just man perfect in his generations walking with God he was the exception to the rule and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Japheth. Japheth? Japheth. Yeah. The earth, the earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Have we corruption in the world today? Have we violence in the world today? So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Yesterday I kept telling people, when you don't understand the purpose of a thing, you will abuse it. When mankind don't understand their purpose, which is to glorify God and to be in relationship with Him, we will lose our way. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Did you hear that? With the earth. He created the earth. He put man on it. He said, have dominion. Now he's sorry that he made man. He's going to destroy them with the earth. Then he gives, and I'm going to read that now. He gave him instructions on how to build the ark. And then we come back to verse 18. But I will establish my covenant with you. He's talking to Noah. And you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Did God say in any of these verses that Noah's sons, their wives, and everybody else were just and walking with him? No. Why did they enter the ark with him? Because he was the husband, the father, the spiritual leader. His just walk with God saved his whole family. 
Drop down to verse 22. Thus Noah did. According to all that God commanded him, so he did. What do we see? A just man who walks with God is obedient. God said so, I will do it. We see nowhere here that he went, you're really a boat? Gopher wood? What is that? How? Yeah. Animals are coming? Really? And, and also, I want to point out, this is just interesting. It's not really about the message. Nowhere in this account do people mock Noah or does Noah preach to people about what's coming. But all of you thought that that happened. Those are assumptions that are made because of another book that was written that wasn't included in the Bible. And because of what Peter says about him, we'll get into that verse just now. But there isn't specifically made mention that for the 90 odd years that he was building an ark, yes, 90 years, <laughs> when he started, the Bible says he was 500 years old when he started, when he got the command, and he was 600 years old when the ark was drifting. <laughs> Imagine that. God says, do this. Doesn't say that he spoke again. 90 years. I'm waiting for the Lord. You haven't waited. <laughs> Noah waited. <laughs> All right. Let's jump to Genesis 7 verse 15. And they went into the ark to Noah, this is the animals, two by two of all flesh in which is the breath of life. Many people think that's all that happened. But before this verse, you read that he, God actually told them, have seven pairs of each clean animal. Anyway, that's just interesting. So those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God has commanded them. And the Lord shut him in. Who closed the ark? God did. He made the ultimate move, movement of saving them, of covering them. Verse 23. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. Genesis 9 verse 11. Thus I established, this is now after the floods have uh, gone down. They've gone out of the, the ark and God is now telling them what to do. He tells them, to go and multiply, to, to start all over again. They've got a chance to do things right. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant with which I made make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again, never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. What a promise. What a covenant. And remember what the rainbow was initially meant for. Don't let the world destroy what the rainbow is meant for because it's trying to do that. 1 Peter 3. Now, let's see what the New Testament after Jesus says about what happened with the flood. 
1 Peter 3 verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. Jesus was just. The world is the unjust. That he might bring us to God. Why did the just die for the unjust? So that we can be united with God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. What did God do in Noah's time? He put to death all flesh. Keep saying it. All flesh that has breath. I'm putting it dead. By whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison. Who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. Another uh, translation sound, makes, it a bit, makes it sound a bit easier to understand. It says, while God was patiently waiting for Noah to build the ark. In which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is how it's possible. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heavens and is at the right hand of God angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. I want you to notice a few things here. Jesus is the resurrection. It says here that we need to see what happened in Noah's time as a sort of precursor, an antitype, an analogy of what baptism actually is. All flesh was killed off and the just was saved. Everyone had to die that were not just and the just was saved. But now through Jesus, everyone in the world that is evil has a chance to be saved. Never again will he kill off through a flood. He promised it. So even though the world has more people than ever and that there's more evil happening than ever, can you imagine what God must be thinking if that time made him think, I want to kill everything, I'm sorry I made man. Can you imagine what he's thinking when he looks at the world right now? But I believe he chooses to look at the world through the blood of Jesus and through the children that he does have. Are you a Noah today? Are you a just man, a just woman, perfect in the eyes of God that he will use to save others? Are we those people? And I want you to see something. It says they were saved through water. Not from the water. Not from the flood. I went and looked at the translation. There are a few of the paraphrased translations that says they were saved from the water or saved from the flood. But if you go into the Greek and into the young literal translation and the New King James... It says they were saved through water. And the Greek word there is through. And I think it's significant. They were not saved from the flood. They were saved through the flood. Why? Because God took away the evil. He took away the flesh. He took away what could corrupt. To save them from what was around them. Okay. I have so much to say there, but I'm going to jump to Corinthians. 
As I mentioned before, the church of Corinth was made up of mostly Gentiles who came to Christ and most of them were freed men. All right, remember that. It was a pagan city known for doing things the world's way. Paul is addressing the people at the church as a concerned father. There are issues of division between them in the church. There's issues of sexual immorality. They are taking each other to court. Christians taking each other to court. And he addresses all of these things in the book of Corinthians. But he starts out with an edification. He starts out by telling them how well they're doing. I actually think from reading the book of Corinthians that Paul invented the compliment sandwich. (laughs) You know the compliment sandwich? When you really want to tell someone something that they need to change, but you start out with, hey, you look really good today. By the way, you know, when you wear that, um, I just... (laughs) And then you end with a compliment. And if you read the book of Corinthians, he ends with an exhortation. But in the middle, yo, yo, yo. He's clapping the lot, eh? But he starts out with an edification. He starts out with this compliment in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 4. He says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. That you were enriched in everything by him. In all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you, Paul. End your letter there. That sounds amazing. What is he saying? He is saying to them, you have great fruit in the spiritual gifts that God has given you. You have great fruit. The spiritual gifts are all over this place. It's amazing. And they were. But spiritual gifts that is not done in proper oversight and with accountability is not effective in influencing the world. And that's what he's going to try and tell them. Then he takes on the issue of division among them. Now, I don't have time to go into the why, but because of the culture around them, to have divisions among each other in the church was kind of a natural thing. Because they would want to know who baptized you and who led you to Christ. So they would go, I'm of Apollos and I'm of Paul. And some were very, you know, super spiritual. They went, we are of Christ. And Paul was taking on all these issues and saying to them, why do you do this? Is Christ divided? No, he's not. So he says, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak the same thing. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Guys, for us to be effective as a local church, we cannot have divisions. I'm not talking about differences in personalities, differences in you know, your expression of how much you love Jesus. I'm talking about we cannot be divided about who is our leader, who is taking us forward, how do we relate to each other, what does the Bible say about the important faith basics, the foundations. We have to be in unity. We have to see the vision that God gave us and we have to be sold out to it. That is the only way that we can be effective and shine the light 
to be an influence rather than to be influenced. Okay? Then he challenges their way of thinking. It becomes clear that they are strongly influenced by the human idea, human version of knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Paul launches into this whole argument about, and you can, you can see how the Greek thinking in the area has influenced them, the philosophy, the way that they want to understand things. And he's talking to them about that. And he says to them, nothing matters but the finished work on the cross. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1 verse 20. He says, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. What does the world wisdom do? It causes people to not know God. It's not wisdom. Can you see that? It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, this is a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, it is foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. That is what it should be to us. Christ and Him crucified to us should be the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. He's talking to these people who are freed men. They used to be slaves. He's saying to them, you are not noble. You don't come from a noble birth. He's saying to them, I understand that in the flesh... You are not of a high standard. You are not of a high class. But he says, don't worry about that because God doesn't look at that. That's not important to him. That's the wisdom of the world. Can you see that? Any of you feel before God today because I come from a certain background or I have a certain skin color or I speak a certain language or I earn a certain salary that I'm not worthy? That's not God's wisdom. Can you see that? But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which we think are mighty. And the base things of this world and the things which are despised, God has chosen and the things which are not. To bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in His presence. No flesh can glory in His presence. But of Him you are in Christ Jesus. He's telling them, my sons, my daughters, have you forgotten who you are? The way you are divided, the way you are fighting, the way you have factions among another. Why are you doing this? But you, I'm going to remind you of who you are. You are Christ's, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Who of you want to be righteous, sanctified and redeemed? It's in Christ. Amen. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. What causes factions? Pride. What is pride? I need to take credit. I want credit. I made this little group happen here. This, I'm leading this. It's pride. Now there's a faction. Do you know how many Christian denominations there are in the world? Over 34,000. That's nuts. We are divided. How can we take over the world? 
And yes, some denominations believe the same thing. I'm not talking about that. It's when it's so divided that we don't believe the same thing. We're not part of the same body of Christ. Okay. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 to 5. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What is Paul saying? I'm not a good speaker. When I was there, I was afraid. I was nervous. It was hard for me. And I didn't speak eloquently. I didn't want to come to you in human wisdom. You have an ex-singer-songwriter as a pastor. The first time I stood here to preach, I was like, what am I doing? Who do I think I am? I told God so many times, don't send me. There must be someone better. I think, you know, like, and God kept telling me, you are like Acts 4 says, the people could perceive that John and Peter were unqualified and untrained men, but that they had been with Jesus. And God said to me, you've been with me, go. And I was like, okay, that's all I can do is to come and preach Christ and Him crucified and be faithful. And, and that is what Paul is saying. That's what he was doing. And, and sometimes we, we get caught up in someone who looks great, sounds great, all the lights and stuff, it's flashing and it's looking amazing. But if that is without the substance of Christ and Him crucified, we need to have the discernment to go, mm, that's a nice show, but it's not, it's not the kingdom. Amen? And if you ever get that feeling from this church, please come and tell me. Keep me accountable. It must never be about that stuff. All of these things I pray about before we get anything equipment-wise. We go, Lord, is this for the furtherance of your kingdom? Is this going to reach more people for the kingdom? Is this going to help us to preach Christ and Him crucified? And only when God says yes do we get more equipment. It's not about the equipment, but it can help us to reach more people, to be a light. Amen? All right. Paul then continues to explain that there are people with whom he speaks deeper spiritual things, where, more spirit, where they are more spiritually mature. And he tells the church what is possible. He goes, you can go and read it. It's a whole thing of it. He's saying, these are the kind of deep spiritual conversations we can have. But he tells them then, but I can't have it with you. Because you're carnal. You are focused on the physical and the flesh. He says to them in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 to 10. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Do you love him? Yes. Yes. That was sad. Do you love Jesus? Yes. Okay, some of the demons are convinced, but some of them are not. Do you love Jesus? Yes. Some of you are still going like this. If you don't know that you love Jesus, how is the world supposed to know that you love Jesus? If the love of Jesus doesn't shine through your eyes, how is the world supposed to know that you love Jesus? 
No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things. Okay, so what you think, what you feel, what you imagine, it doesn't come close to what God has prepared. It's prepared, like the food outside. It's prepared. It doesn't have to be made. It's prepared. When you walk out here and dish the food, it's prepared. For those who love Him. For those who What does it mean when we love Him? I said it earlier. We are love key church. We get to salvation when we realize how much God loves us. And then we live the life He has for us when we love Him back. And we love Him back when we obey His word. I'm going to ask you again. Do you love Jesus? Yes. But then He hits the church with the harsh truth. He says to them, you don't actually love Jesus. So the things that have been prepared, you cannot access it yet. Who wants to access the things that you can't even imagine that God has prepared? Anyone? I want to access it. We can't access it when we are still carnal. We can't access it when we are still caught up in the world. We can't access it when we are still being influenced by the world more than we are influencing the world. Because when we are influenced by the world more than we are influencing the world, we are not loving God. Do you get this? All right. He says to them in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1 to 3. And brethren, could not speak to you. I could not speak to you. I could not speak to you as to spiritual people. But as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are not able. For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions, is that not carnal behavior like mere men? So Paul looks at their behavior of being divided. He says, you're acting like people in the world. There's no difference. So I can't give you the deeper things that God has prepared for you. I can't even start to talk to you about it because you're not ready. Can you see that? That's why I said this is a cautionary tale. I'm not saying that it's happening in this church. I know you're all perfect. This is a warning. This is a warning for us as Christians in this area to not fall in the same trap. If anyone starts a sentence with, I think we should form our own little group and you know, you slap them silly with the word of God. Not physically. And you bring them back to the truth of why we are here. But I'm so grateful when I walked in here this morning and I saw people lovingly serving the vision that God gave us. Yeah. We're in a good space. But let's stay there. Amen? All right. Family. You're my family. You're the beloved of Christ. My friends. God is leading us and showing us where He wants us to go and how to mature and how mature He wants us to be. He wants to reveal His mysteries to us. He wants to reveal His plans for this area, for the people in this area. He wants to show us. But carnality and sin and the ways of the world and the narrative that the world is spewing out against us and trying to infiltrate in our lives through the news media and through television and through what they are bringing into the schools, what they're trying to 
make you think is normal and okay. It is causing us to compromise and compromise and compromise. There are very few people of God who have the conviction because they love Jesus, really love Jesus, to stand and say, not on my watch. This is not okay. What you are doing, what you are saying, what is happening here is wrong. It should not happen. I've done it a few times and I've gotten into a lot of trouble with social media. There are trolls and Satanists and hateful people who call themselves Christians who can't wait for you to say something that is wrong according to the current social climate we live in. They want to bounce on you on social media and spew their hatred onto you. They can't wait for you to look intolerant and discriminatory so that they can not tolerate you and hate you. The big irony of our time. We have free speech as long as your speech is the same as mine. What? There's nothing free about that. I'm not going to get into more trouble. How many of you have children in the whip? All right. That's one of the primary schools here in this area. They sent out a letter just before the close of the, of the term, which I think is interesting, to say that they are putting together a sensitivity committee. And they want to do a, they're sending out a survey to find out if there's equality and inclusiveness and discrimination in our, in our school. On the surface, it looks like a great idea. Is anyone being discriminated against? Is anyone being treated unfairly? Of course, that shouldn't happen. Yes. But this is a classic vehicle for the world to come into schools and to get stuff that they've already happened in America and in some other areas in our nation. They are bringing in critical race theory where they want to sow more division among races and they want to bring in a radical sexual identity ideology. And they're going to do it as a Trojan horse thing, making it look good, but then infiltrating our schools and brainwashing our children with their nonsense. It cannot happen. It should not happen. And on this platform, I'm saying to the school boards of DeWip and every other school in this town and in this area, do not do this. You are opening up your school to evil. We cannot allow it. That is one of the areas where we have to shine brightly. We cannot let this influence us. If something comes against your family, if someone is trying to break into your house and your whole family is there with you, what are you going to do? You're going to open the door for him? No. You're going to defend yourself. Of course. But when these things happen, we don't recognize that it's a spiritual war. So we just let it happen. It'll be okay. Someone else can deal with it. My kids are almost out of the school. No. What are you doing? In the time of Noah, Noah was the only righteous, just, and perfect man that God could find. And because of his righteousness, his whole family was saved. And they were saved through the water. Not from the water. 
God was sorry that he created man. I wonder how he feels today. And because he's a God of his word, I wonder if he's had moments where he went, maybe I should bring another flood. Sort this out. Oh, no, wait. I have a covenant. But look at what's happening. I wonder how many, if we had the days of Noah all over again, and there was a flood. Here's an interesting question that the Holy Spirit just put in my mind. How many arks would be floating with people that are found righteous and just? Would you be on one? Would your family be on one? Holy Spirit, that's a tough question. But it's a good one. Because that's what it's going to take. That's what it's going to take to change this area and this province and this nation. There's a spiritual battle raging. They are coming for your marriage. They are coming for your family. They are definitely coming for your children. And we cannot let it happen. We need to have a defensive plan and an offensive plan in place. We need to be strategic. We need to know what we have in God. Weapons that are mighty for pulling down strongholds. Amen. Paul said that he baptized some of the people in Corinth so we can know that the people in the church were baptized. Like Peter says, he referred to the, to the flood and said it's a sign of baptism. But through this letter, we can see that some of them who have received Christ and who have been baptized are still doing the wrong thing. How many of you got born again, got baptized, and somewhere along the line, you just lost track of everything again. It happens. It's not supposed to happen, but it happens. What, it, what actually happened? You had a moment where you were more influenced by the world than you were influencing the world. And it's happening to the Corinth church. What are we going to do to make sure it doesn't happen with us? Noah was righteous in a world in God's sight, in a world that has gone rogue. His influence, according to the scriptures, Peter says this about him. He said that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And in Hebrews, we read that he judged the world when the flood came. Can you see that? That's powerful. When we are in just righteous standing with God, we can bring world-shaking changes to our area. We can. What influence, this is our question for us all today, what influence am I having on the world? I want you to ask that. What influence am I having on the world? When I say the world, I mean the broken, carnal, led by Satan world. What are you having on that world? What influence is your marriage having on, and, and your family having on your community around you? All of us have neighbors. All of us have a school or a community that we're involved in. People you see often. What influence do you actually have on them? And on the other side, what influence are they having on you? If you listen to any proper leadership book or podcast or session, one of the things they all say, show me your five closest friends and I will show you where you will be in 10 years from now. You will be exactly where those people are. Choose wisely. Choose wisely. I know too many Christians that have 
taken the word of God out and taken the opinion of other well-meaning Christians and it becomes their narrative. And they're like, yes, I'm a Christian. And then you read the book, the book to them and say, but what you say and what the book says is not the same. And they go, yeah, you know, but blah, 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 blah. And it's like, what are you doing? When what is coming out of your mouth is not rooted in the word of God, it has no power. And it has no meaning of eternal value. Will we settle for small things? Will we settle for comfort, convenience, and safety? Will we? Because that's one of the alluring things of the world. Every ad is about your comfort and your convenience and making your life easier. Ooh, I want that gadget. It makes my life easier. Have you seen it? You deserve this. You should have happiness. Buy this product and feel much better. It's all geared for your flesh. All of it. And we fall for it. Who is influencing whom? Are we going to let these things take us away? Or will we see how foolish the world's wisdom is? How deranged the world's values are? And will we call out lies and speak truth in love in the face of seemingly overwhelming odds? Will we be those Christians? Will we choose to raise our kids according to the word of God and not the algorithms of social media? Will we choose to raise our kids this way? Church... We need to make a decision and we need to make it collectively because unity is important. Jesus predicted that before he returns, the world will be like the days of Noah. People will go about their daily business. They will marry, they will care, they will have food in this evil world. And then suddenly Jesus will come. Suddenly the rain came and the floods were there. The Bible says the fountains under the earth burst open and the heavens opened with rain. It was suddenly and overwhelming and no one could escape. That's the way Jesus will come. Are we ready? Are we geared to reach as many people as possible before that day? Are we trained? Are we mature in Christ? Do I know the word of God better than social media feeds? Do I know the word of God better than the latest news headline? Is the narrative of my life the gospel or is the narrative of my life whatever ideology is being spewed out that's the latest fashion? Or do I have an answer based on the word of God for every lie the enemy is trying to get into my life? The only place to get that is the Word of God and in a community of fellowship like this. Amen? Let us make a collective decision today to be kingdom influencers, influencers for Jesus in this area. Amen? Let us stand and let us decide that together. Thank you, Father. If there's anyone here today that through this message you realize I thought I loved God. I thought I was sold out for Jesus, but maybe I'm not. 
Or maybe you're here and you go, I don't have that boldness. I don't have that conviction to stare in the face of evil, to stare in the brokenness of this world, and to speak the truth. If that's you today, will you please raise your hand so we can pray for you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let us trust God that we will be overwhelmed by His wisdom, by His grace, by His love, by His power. Amen. Let us all pray for that right now, in Jesus' name. Father God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I pray right now, Lord, that you will come into this place, that you will help us to be those people that you have called us to be. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we pray for the boldness of the Lion of Judah to enter our spirit, man. We pray, Lord, that this will be a church where your light shines brightly because we are connected with you, the ultimate light, the light giver. Lord, we commit our lives to be close to you and to be conduits for your light in this world. Holy Spirit, fill us, strengthen us, guide us. Lord, we are hungry for your wisdom. We are hungry for your knowledge. Lord, we repent for every time we allow the world to speak louder to us than your word. Lord, we are sorry. We are sorry for entertaining any of these ideologies and narratives that is not from you. And we declare and decree in the name of Jesus that the Word of God will be the only thing guiding us as we do life. Lord, give us the strength and the boldness as a church and as individuals and as families to influence this world around us more than this world influences us. We choose today to stand dressed in our armor, ready with our mighty weapons of warfare, to take on what you've called us to be. Lord Jesus, you've given us the keys of the kingdom. Whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever will be loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. You have given us these keys. You have planted your church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. We believe it, Lord. We stand on that word. And gates don't attack. We need to take the gates of death and go and grab people from death and bring them into the light. Help us to do that, Holy Spirit. Help us to do that, Lord. Thank you that you fill each and every one of us with a godly kingdom boldness today, that we will not shy away from difficult conversations, that we will always speak the truth from your word in love. I pray that you will help us to be as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves. We stand on your word and we choose today to influence the world for you. We are the light in the darkness. We pray that in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone says, Amen. It will be so. Hallelujah. Thank you so much. God is good.
Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church podcast message of the week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.